Tonight and over the next several Sunday nights, we are going to be doing some deeper teaching on uh, uh, the last days and the end times a little bit. We won't get too much into Revelation, perhaps, but we're really sticking a little bit more with the gospel. Part of, it's really still part of our Words in Red series. Uh, so Jesus really did emphasize the second coming in the gospels. And so that's kind of the, the side we'll stick with that. We will uh, tonight we're going to talk about the rapture. Uh, and kind of go into what the Bible says about it, and uh, we'll just kind of have an open forum, pretty, pretty, uh, like kind of a, a Wednesday night Bible study kind of uh, type here tonight. And then uh, next Sunday night, we'll hopefully get into uh, the tribulation and uh, the Antichrist, and then we're going to get into uh, the second coming and final judgment after that. And uh, if you have any questions over the course of uh, these studies or whatever, feel free to email me. Uh, my email's on the back of the bulletin and on the church website. Uh, Facebook me, however you want to do that. But I, I, I do want to make sure we answer questions, and, and but we may not have time to answer all the questions here in uh, our few minutes here tonight, but we'll, we'll get those, and I'd love to chat with you more about it. Um, but if uh, we'll just follow the handout tonight, but let's pray real quick and ask the Lord to be with us as we study His Word. And I believe tonight uh, it's going to be kind of cool. We're going to learn a little bit about Jewish weddings, and uh, it's kind of appropriate being Valentine's Day here 2016 but lord we pray over tonight lord as we study your word god that it would be a a lamp into our feet a light into our path god that we would just uh, have it illuminated in our hearts god that we would just uh, magnify your presence uh, on this world today god we would have your word so deep and rooted in us god that uh, lord nothing could steal it away and nothing would would cause us to turn right or left but god that we would just be uh, so confident that your word has been proven true so many times, God, that we know it'll be proven true again, and, and we hold to that tonight. Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says this, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. He came once to handle the sin issue, now when he's coming back, he's coming back to those who are eagerly awaiting him. Everybody say eagerly. 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 And if you look in the New Testament at the first few chapters of Luke, that the, the God came down on Jesus Christ, manifested to a group of Jews who were eagerly anticipating him. And so likewise, the way he came the first time is going to be to a devout group of people who are eagerly anticipating his second return, uh, uh, second coming. Uh, ever since the beginning of Christianity, uh, we have experienced tribulation or, or persecution. Uh, and ever since, we've been anticipating that he'd come back, right? Uh, and it's our promise, the Bible says, it's our blessed hope uh, that one day we're going to see him, whether it be for some of us, it may be through death, uh, but we're going to see him. Uh, and he's going to raise us up from the dead. Uh, or for some of us, maybe perhaps even someone in this room, maybe the Lord would take some of us or all of us, we would see the rapture in our time. I do believe... Uh, just personally, I do believe that, um, and I agree, a, a pastor was preaching on this the other day, that people, there's somebody alive today that will see the rapture. I, I, do, believe, I do believe it will be within a generation or two. Um, so we are called to watch and pray. It could happen today, tonight, tomorrow. Uh, there's nothing prohibiting it from coming. But the fact is, He is coming. We're going to enter the study just knowing that. He is coming. John fourteen three. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that I that where I am, there you may be also. 
A number of times Jesus mentioned his return should give us some emphasis, some indication of how important it is. Uh, and he began talking about it six months before his death. And how many know when you think about death, you really want to start thinking about what's going to happen, right? And uh, the same is true. Six months before he was about to die, he began really talking about his second coming to his church. And so God has a plan, and he still does. Uh, that his, think about it this way, that his kingdom of heaven came down to earth uh, on the, in the New Testament times, the first century, the kingdom of heaven stepped down to earth through his birth, that it, the victory over sin came at the cross, and the victory over death came at his resurrection, and the victory over for his church is going to come at the rapture. So he's handled all those issues before, and our victory is coming at the rapture. And we're going to have, he's going to, we're going to talk about later, he's going to have victory over the Antichrist and the world's kingdom at the second coming. And finally, he's going to have victory over Satan uh, and his kingdom and all of those false prophets at the final judgment. But to accomplish this mission, he had to go to heaven and receive full authority. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the Jewish wedding. But let's do a little overview here. You have on your handout, I've, I've listed some overviews of some things. These are not in necessarily the right order because the Bible is full of mystery. Uh, but you can look in Revelations uh, chapter 18 through 20 and get some of this out of here. But number one, we know that these are things that are going to happen, okay? I'm just going to tell you some things and some key words you want to know. If you don't know that what these words are, maybe you've come back into the faith or you're new to, to this or maybe you've never really studied in times. Uh, these are words you're going to really want to uh, look up the definition to uh, because number one is that we know that the economy and the power of man will fall. That's given. Revelation 18 talks about the fall of Babylon, which is the ruling economy of the world, the world's economy. Uh, what's our economy built on today? The dollar, right? The Western economy rules the world today. Uh, we know that there is coming a day where the biggest economy in the world, what rules the world, will fall. And number two, we know that the church will be taken to heaven for something we call the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, and that's through the rapture. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we do know, number three, that there is going to be judgments through the book of Revelation where God is repeatedly giving over many judgments. We talk about the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, that uh, three times seven, uh, seven, 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 God is repeatedly allowing things to happen on the earth through the book of Revelation. And I'm not going to get into that. I believe we're in part of those seals now, but that. Uh, those things are happening and he's allowing these things to happen to draw men to himself, to wake them up, to say, hey, uh, get ready. It, uh, I want you to repent and turn to me. And so the judgments will come. There'll be a thing called the Great Tribulation, which will be the most intense, severe persecution of believers and Jews that the world has ever seen. And we'll talk about that some. And uh, that there is going to be an Armageddon, a, a last day's battle at Har Megiddo, which is a, a place in Israel. Armageddon is a place in Israel. Uh, the battle of Armageddon, the valley, the Jezreel Valley. Uh, that's where that is, a big, huge valley in Israel. There will be a battle there and the Antichrist nations will rise up. That then, And after that, Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Revelation, he's going to come on a white horse with the armies of heaven. He's going to bring down wrath. He's going to strike down all those who come and assemble against Jerusalem to fight against his army. And that's the second coming. Antichrist, false prophet, all these guys will be killed. Satan will be bound for a thousand years into the abyss. Uh, and after, after church tonight, come up here and kind of look at these things that I'm, I'm just picking out. Uh, and we're going to come, I'm telling you all in advance, we're going to come back and we're going to walk through it. Uh, but this is kind of a, a good poster that I have in my office that Miss Shannon uh, made for us. Uh, and so uh, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. 
Millennial reign is what that is called. Satan's freed once more. Uh, and then he's going to tempt the nations one last time. And then the final, final day will happen. God will pur- uh, purify the earth by fire. And there will be a great white throne judgment. And at that great white throne judgment, you and I, or, sorry, every person on earth, uh, there are two books. We don't really know the name of the second book, but the first book is called the Book of Life. And, and those not found in the Book of Life will be cast into eternal fire in the lake of fire. Uh, and the second book is kind of the book of works. And every person will be judged according to both books. One, you'll be judged according to those works. But you're only going to get into heaven if your name is in the book of life. And so we're going to look at those things a little bit. But let's talk about the rapture tonight. So let's wind back. Let's talk about the rapture. Uh, the word rapture is really not in the Bible. Okay, be honest. It's not in the Bible. It's Latin for raptus. It means to seize, to seize up. It comes from a Greek word. Uh, which means to be caught up, okay? We're going to be caught up with him. And so we have translated that now into rapture. Uh, it's believed that God's going to take his church out of the world instantaneously. You think about the stories, if you're familiar with Enoch and Elijah. Uh, both men were caught up, raptured, taken up with God. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. God ta- uh, caught him up. Elijah was caught up in a chariot of fire. Uh, neither man saw death. Uh, and we'll talk about them a little bit later as well. But that's the rapture. He, he shows us these things. We see uh, Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, you know, after his second coming. That's rapture. Uh, and Paul calls this our blessed hope. It means uh, he believes that Christ is going to snatch us up without setting foot on the earth uh, and his, until his second coming in the battle of Armageddon. So uh, we're here in this church age. We're in the middle. All these things have happened. That God has uh, moved from the creation to the fall, to the flood, to Abraham, to Moses, uh, through David. We're in the church age now. And we are only, we are waiting at the precipice. At the very beginning, we're waiting for this thing uh, we believe called the rapture of the church. It's the gathering. So let's look at some scripture real quick. Turn with me in your Bibles if you have them. to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. 1 Thessalonians Chapter four, verse 14, and you can look ahead into first Corinthians 15. Well, you'll have those notes in a minute. Uh, but first Thessalonians chapter four, verse 14. If you're there, say amen. Got one of you. We got a couple JBQ kids in here. All right. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, and he's writing to, let me give you a background, he's writing to a church that he had just went there and he had talked to them about saying, Jesus Christ is coming back. But here's, here's what happened. In the meantime, Paul leaves. He goes and goes to another church. Well, people start dying. You know, people got old and, and, and their time was called. All right, so they died. So they write back to Paul really concerned, like, oh, no, what happens here. Are they going to be in limbo forever? They died. You said Jesus is coming back like tomorrow. They, he didn't make it. He wasn't here. We waited all night for him. But these guys died. We had a funeral. And now what's going to happen? So he's trying to calm them down and tell them how it's going to work. And he says, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died in Jesus. For this way we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and are remaining on this earth, we're alive right now, until the coming of the Lord, anybody who's alive when God comes, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Meaning we're not going to leave people who are dead behind. God's got a plan for them too. He says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's nice of Him, you know. Rise first. 
And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Man, that's a good line to end on that. We will always, never, ever, ever separated from God again. Man, that's so good. Because uh, you wonder sometimes, you're like, man, I hope I, I make this. I hope I don't fall away. From. Some of us who maybe you've fallen back and forth a few times, man, to be with God forever and you know it's, I'm done. All my work, all that effort, all that trial, all that tribulation, all the worry, stress, forever. Man, you know what it's like to go on vacation sometimes? You're just, you, you actually get to that point where you can turn it off and you're like, wow, this is wonderful. But you know Monday is going to come. Man, can you think about this? An eternity with no Mondays. That's going to be glorious right there. Amen. All right. Transformation. So he says this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to descend. Uh, he's going to not really come all the way down. And we'll talk about this in a minute. But at the second coming, he's coming down. and He's going to step on the Mount of Olives. He's going to do some battle. But at the rapture, he's going to descend, kind of, I guess, lean out of heaven, out of, uh, the best way you can think about it. And his angels will come. Uh, Gabriel, uh, we believe, uh, the archangel Gabriel, he'll sound a trumpet. Perhaps it's him. We don't know. And then the, the, just at the shout, just at the shout, just at the call, we'll just respond. We'll just, the Holy Spirit in us will respond. Man, that's some power. You have some power in you. Do you know that? There is some, the, the God of heaven is living in you, and he will answer to himself. Whew, that's good. We think we're just kind of weak little beings in here, but man, when his voice shouts, you, ain't got, you couldn't hold on to something in here strong enough, right? You're going. And uh, hopefully we'll be jumping with him. All right. And now look at, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. This verse uh, is really often read at funerals. But 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Paul, again, writing to a group of people. He talks to the church in Corinth. And he tells these, these guys. Now, Corinth is a bunch of uh, drunken sailors, if you will. Okay. They're, they're a messed up group of people. But they're one of the greatest churches uh, in the early church uh, because of what God would, was doing through them. Anyhow, they had their issues, a lot of issues. But they didn't understand this whole transformation thing. They were thinking like this, well, Paul, why in the world would I want to have my dead, maggot-filled bones rise up from the grave and go into heaven? I will look so ugly. I'll have no hair my teeth will be, my, you know, my dentures won't keep in there, you know, and, and my clothes will be falling off on me and, and I'll stink like really crazy. And he's, he's like, guys, you don't even get it. You don't understand. And so he's saying, you're going to be transformed. It's going to, and he actually uses the same word that we would talk about going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Any biology people in here? What is that? Metamorphosis, right? You're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed. And so how is this whole thing going to work, Paul? Why? Why would I want my dead? They, they didn't want it. They said, I'd rather just have my normal body. Why, why would I want my dead body raised up? Can't he just start over? Now, here's what they, he says. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We don't understand it. You know, really, science doesn't really understand how that caterpillar turns in that butterfly. We really don't understand it. We don't we can't replicate it. We don't get it. But there's a mystery here. And he says, I, we will not all sleep or, or be dead, but we will all be changed, transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. You know what twinkling is? Some of us are, you know, some of us have contacts. You get a twinkle a lot. You know, I'm not winking at you. I'm just, my eyes are dry. 
In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, this is a shofar, by the way, and the dead in Christ will raise imperishable, and we will be changed, transformed, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. You watch all these movies and superhero movies right now, like Thor and uh, Next Man, I don't know what else, all, all these things are out there. You know, talk about people are fascinated with the immortal beings. Look at Hollywood, they're making a killing on superheroes. You are going to be the biggest and the baddest superhero ever, right? Hercules ain't got nothing on you, you know, because you're going to be transformed and you will be immortal. Think about that. You think of yourself in that way? I mean, that God thinks so much of you to make you immortal. Wow. That's just something else, man. Uh, Something to get excited about. Uh, And it's almost too good to be true. You listen to this, you're like, Ah, you know, and if you were hearing this for the first time, you're thinking, well, this is a crazy story, right? But let's look at this. The word of God has been proven true time and time and eon and eon. And if and if all of this has come true, how much more so will all of this be true as well? And so uh, that's why we study the word of God. Okay, now let's look at this. There's three rapture theories. So whether we're dead or alive, uh, we will be raptured with him if we are in Jesus. That means if we have that personal relationship with him, like I talked this morning, uh, we can wake up, we can uh, stir ourselves up, we can cut away from the things of the world. But unless we have a born again, spirit filled relationship with God where the Holy Spirit is living in us and we are in communion with him on a regular basis and we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, begin to try to love our neighbors as ourselves and we confess him before the world. Uh, that he is God, uh, that's what it means. That those people who are in Jesus, they're all about Jesus. They're not adding Jesus onto their life. Their, their, their Jesus is all on the inside. And you can tell the difference between the two, let me tell you. You can tell the difference between a person who has added Jesus to their life or who has got Jesus in their life. There is a difference. And, and it's a spiritual thing. But he says our body will be transformed, new resurrected body, much like his body. Much like his body. Uh, and I'm pausing because I, I skipped something. But it, let me talk about this body real quick as we look in these three rapture theories. Because it will be a tangible body. Your new body will be a tangible body. Uh, the best way we can think about it is when we think about Jesus rose from the dead and people saw him. That he could eat food. He did eat food. Uh, he walked around. He was tangible. People could touch him. But at the same time, he could also walk through walls. And at the same time, he could zip from one place to the other instantaneously. Uh, That's what we're looking at. And in some sense, one time somebody didn't recognize him. And in a different sense, he allowed them to because of the spirit. Right. And so uh, it's uh, we know that it may not look we may not look the same. Somebody's saying, amen. I don't want to look the same. Right. I want to get rid of these ears or this nose or whatever it may be. Uh, Hopefully I get to keep my spiky hair or whatever. God allow us in heaven. Right. Uh, But. You are not going to be subject to sin, nor pain, nor hunger. You will no longer be subject to the laws of physics. No more weight gain. Hallelujah. Uh, you, unfortunately, you will not marry. You'll be as the angels. But your spouse, significant other, hopefully will be there with you. And we'll love everybody equally. So it's going to be awesome. Uh, we will be immortal, full of his glory and power. Um, amen. Three rapture theories. Three rapture theories. Those of us who teach a literal seven-year tribulation, I will not go into that on my personal views, but I will basically say when we look into the Bible and we look into Revelation and we begin to read numbers, there's a thing called numerology, basically to understand that apocalyptic literature 
Okay, and I'm talking about, you notice things in the Bible like 40 days and 40 nights, 40 years in the wilderness, uh, three this, seven this. He went to hair three, you know, three days on the cross, three days in the grave, three days in the belly of the wall. There's a lot of numbers in the Bible, sevens and threes and forties. Those things mean something. Uh, oftentimes, God does use literal three days, literal 40 days, literal 40 years because he wants to teach us something. But sometimes in apocalyptic literature, like the book of Revelation and Daniel, those numbers are there not literally, but there to teach you something. They're there to teach you seven or three, meaning perfection or completion, right? Um, so we could very much experience a seven-year tribulation, that there is a literal seven years, or three and a half and three and a half, and we can talk about that later on next week. Or that could be that there will be a perfect season of tribulation, a uh, uh a complete season of tribulation, okay? And we'll get into that a little bit more. But I want to talk about these three rapture theories because there are three things that you'll find in different churches, uh, what they view on the rapture. Number one, there is what we call post-tribulation rapture, meaning that God will come, Jesus will come uh, after the church age, when he's ready to come, he will come at the end of the book of Revelation, right at the same time as the second coming, that the second coming, when he descends on the white horse, coming to fight the battle of Armageddon, after the seven seals and the seven bowls, our seven trumpets and the seven bowls, after the Antichrist is established, after the great persecution on Jews and Christians, that, that post-tribulation means that we're going to go through the darkest times in human history, and then he will come and it will all be at one moment. That's post-tribulation. Uh, it means that, but it, during that time, these people who believe the post-tribulation mean, believe this, they believe that uh, God will help Christians endure persecution by the Antichrist, uh, that they will uh, stand up to not take the mark of the beast, uh, that some of them, like Elijah, may, you know, you may have to be fed by ravens, you may have to, we just have to rely on God to get us by. I mean, you know, even some of the best Christians in the world and best uh, believing Jews in the world went through the Holocaust. I mean, God did not spare uh, people from the Holocaust. God allowed that persecution to happen. Uh, it, it refines his church. It draws his church together. It builds up his church persecution. It makes us serious uh, about really what we believe and why. You know, uh, my family actually fled uh, Germany uh, after Hitler came to power. I have, my great grandfather was uh, fighting against the Nazis. They were in. They were. They, my family is German. Uh, they did come over here on a boat, and my grandma grew up speaking German. And, and all that kind of stuff. And so they were Christian. And they, uh, I have a great aunt that was in a prison camp. You know, uh, she's with the Lord today. But I'm going to tell you what, that woman is a mighty, was a mighty, mighty woman of God uh, because of that, that season in her life that she had to hold on. So there is tribulation. We should not expect, we should not, let me say this, we should not automatically think, well, we won't have to go through tribulation or we won't have to go through some severe tribulation. People around the world today are being beheaded, dragged through the streets for their faith, uh, all kinds of things I've talked about in this sermon series before uh, tonight. Uh, there is tribulation in the world today. There is a very, very severe tribulation in Africa uh, and in the Middle East today. Uh, even in India, it's growing. Those are in North Korea, man, horrendous tribulation in North Korea. There's a pastor from Canada uh, was trying to get books. Just, this happened just the other day. Pastor from Canada who is Korean trying to get Bibles into North Korea. They arrested him. He's in prison in North Korea. He's trapped. He can't get out. There, he's in prison for an undefinite number of time, number of years. We don't even know. Um, Canadian citizen. But, you know, there's just things like this that we know that this is going to happen. And to the, to the credit of post-tribulation, 
And I'll, I will say this, okay? And we're going to go into this a little bit more. But to the credit of those who, who follow post-trib, okay? One of the, one of the credits is, is that in the Gospels, in the New Testament, most of Jesus' words are blended. Most of His words uh, put the rapture and tribulation in a real fuzzy way. Uh, or sorry, rapture and the second coming in a real fuzzy way. And often... He, he will talk about both in the same paragraph or the same sentence. And, and we have to have discernment of the Holy Spirit in that. And he did that for a reason, because he doesn't want us to know when it is, right? And so uh, there is some credit to that. And so I'm not telling you God's going to come one way or the other. I'm just saying I won't lose my faith if I have to go through tribulation. That's where we have to stand, right? If God, like I preached this morning, what do we have to have to endure what if God delays? We have to have full up of the Holy Spirit to endure whatever comes away. So we should be prepared for post-tribulation rapture, okay? However, I'll give you some better news here in a minute, okay? Ready? Um, mid-tribulation. This is the second theory. Post-trib, mid-trib. Mid-tribulation rapture. It believes that you'll see the rapture as a distinct event that's before the second coming that delivers the believers in the middle of the great tribulation which perhaps may be a seven-year period, we do not know, and that they often believe that the first half may be more peaceable and that the second half, when the two witnesses of God come down, and, and again, I'm, I'm saying things perhaps that you don't understand yet, maybe you haven't studied, but uh, that they believe that somewhere in the middle. I will say, for the mid-trib, we, are a lot more, we would rather have mid-trib than post-trib, right? Amen. However, mid-tribulation rapture is the least supported theory of the three. There's the least scripture for mid-tribulation rapture. There is more theory, more scripture for post-trib and pre-trib. Okay, so try to err in one of those camps. However, we're just going to be ready because that's why you'll hear me preach pre-trib. All right, and I will talk about that a little bit. Pre-tribulation rapture is the belief that Christ will rapture the church at any part, at any point before the great tribulation uh, because 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says that God has not destined us for wrath, uh, but it's argued that this is satis- the pre-tribulation best satisfies Christ's teaching because why? It preaches an imminent return. It means God can come at any moment when you believe Him and, and align yourself with pre-trib. And so Mark 13, he says, For that day or that hour nobody knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, because the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not, not, sorry, you do not know when the appointed time will come. He'll come like lightning that flashes out of one part of the sky and shines another. So will the Son of Man come in His day. Thessalonians, He'll come like a thief in the night. And so it is best, no matter when He comes, I'm just going to say this and we're going to move on. No matter when He comes, in the church age or in the tribulation age or in the book of Revelation, no matter when He comes, we are to live as if He could come at any moment. At any moment. And that is a pre-tribulation view. And He may endure he may wait longer than we think, and we'd be thinking, God, when are you coming? But we have to have fullness of the Holy Spirit, but be ready. Any moment, I'm going to tell you what, there is not one prophecy left to fulfill before the rapture would have to take place. That's how close we are. Let me talk to you a little bit, and this is going to, i got a few minutes. This is where we're just going to get interesting. Let's talk about the Jewish stuff. How many people like talking about Jewish stuff? All right, we got a lot of, a lot of fans. Okay, very good. Let's talk about the Jewish wedding, because this all actually is a very beautiful picture of the Jewish wedding. And we're going to talk about that for a second. Number one, there are some parts you have on your sheet. There are four parts I'm going to bring out of the Jewish wedding. I, by no means, am an expert on Jewish uh, culture, okay? I only know what I've studied, and that is very little. 
But I'm going to kind of bring some things out to the best of my knowledge, and I'll just give you that disclaimer, okay? Number one, there is the engagement. In an ancient Jewish wedding, and I'm going to tell you this, there are very differing, there's different theories. We don't know all the answers. The best way to talk to someone would be talk to a, 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 a rabbi scholar, right? Uh, because you're going to get different articles and different sources. But basically, we got this. In Jewish culture, a young man wanted to marry a young woman. And so he would work it out with his father and her father. And he would uh, say, I like that girl. She looks good. I think I want to marry her. It's beneficial to both of our families, okay? A lot of times there's arranged marriage. And so there would be this engagement. It would be a formal ceremony, a formal ceremony, not like what we have today. There was no uh, wedding like we have today. There was no where we get all of the guests together and we have the bride walk down the aisle. Sorry, ladies, no white dress like that and all that show. There would be an engagement. He would go to this bride and this father and they would he would pay her dowry. He would uh, from his father, he would get some money and he would go pay what the bride was worth and and what the family should be owed for having to take care of that bride for so long. Okay, sorry, ladies, that's just the way it was. All right. And and actually, it was quite expensive. It was quite expensive. Okay. And so uh, he would pay the her. Let's say ransom. Okay. He would pay the price for her. Okay. All right. And it would be a contract. It would be a covenant. Okay. And they would enter into covenant that very day. And the way it worked was kind of like this. Uh, she, uh, he would pay the dowry the, and present the contract. Payment of, would be exchanged. Her status would then change. And she would be free from her parents' household. And her old life would be behind her. Her new life would be ahead. Now, yo, those, yo, those of you who preach, listen to this, okay? All right? The man would say to her in that moment, he would say, By this gift thou art set apart, consecrated for me. All right? And the engagement would be a legally binding time. You would legally be married at the engagement. However, you would not have the benefits, husbands and wives, of, of what that meant. Okay, You would not have physical contact until uh, later on uh, when you actually finalize the marriage. So you're engaged, but you would have to get divorced to break the engagement. Okay, all right. And so it was only breakable by adultery when we, the bride, turned away from the husband. Okay, this again... Sing some preaching in here. The groom would take a cup of wine. He'd bless their new covenant. He would give it to the bride. And if the bride accepted that that covenant, she would drink of it. And then before the groom left, he would give his future bride a gift to remind her of his love for her and that she could think of him often until he would return because he was about to go away for one to two years. Okay, think about this. This would be weird in America today, right? But let's put some parallel in here. Today... You and I are saved, ransomed from death, our price paid through the contract, the covenant that we have through Jesus Christ who paid our ransom. All right. Not only that, he says that you have a new identity in him, that we have an identity in our future in him, that our old family, our old lives are passed away. All things have become new. And then it gets even better. He says he set us apart for a holy purpose. And he gave us the cup of the new covenant. Remember the, the cup uh, uh, after, after the Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, he took that cup and he broke bread and gave thanks. You know, he took that covenant and he promised his return. And what did he do before he left? What did he give us before he left? He said, peace I leave with you. I'm sending the comforter to come that he will be with you always and bring to remembrance all things that I have taught to you. 
And so Jesus left us a parting gift, just like these Jewish husbands did, to say, hey, I want to remind you how much I love you and how much you should be thinking about me before I go, and I'm going to leave you this blessing, but I'm coming back. Now, how awesome is that? The whole New Testament is revolved around a Jewish wedding. Okay, let's get this better, right? Number two, there's a preparation of the bride. I'm going to go quick because I know it's getting warm in here. Preparation of the bride. Uh, this engagement lasts for 12 months. And while the groom prepared uh, a new addition on his father's house for a, uh, a, a, it was a canopy, basically. It would be maybe a different room or a place on their property, but it, he would begin to make a place uh, where uh, uh, they would have a, a, it's called a chupa, basically. It's a canopy. It would be a place where they would go in uh, and uh, have the, the ceremony and, and the final consummation of the marriage, okay? So he's making this, this new home for her, okay? But he's going to make another home. But this is just for the wedding night, the wedding week. And so in his father's house, there are many mansions. In his father's house, he would add a room onto. Or in his father's house, he would make this room. And then he would make this room to the specifications of his father. Because what they didn't want, guys, is this, this little young man. Man, I really want to marry this girl. She's really, really hot. And I'm going to hurry up and get it married. No, he's like, you've got to make this room right. You've got to get all your things in order. You've got to get it all together. And so he would make this room for the wedding feast, and he would go build him a new house or buy him a new house as well. And so he had to do all those preparations according to his father's wishes. And when his father was ready, then he could go marry his bride, okay? And so he would do that, and along the way, this is all happening. She, the bride would be consecrated. She stayed at her mom and dad's house. She, when she went out in public, she had to wear a veil, all right? Uh, Paul talks about this veil, all right? She had to wear a veil so the world would know she's engaged, so she's set apart. She's not going to participate in the things of the world or any other boys. She's going to be set apart. And she would know uh, that she had to make her, her wedding dress and her bridesmaids had to make their dresses and all these different things. And there was a general time. We know about a year from now we're going to get married, Okay. But the exact day or hour was not known. The wedding day, think about this, ladies. Your wedding day would be a surprise. How many ladies could handle that? You're like, no, that is not the way the American wedding works at all. Guys, we don't have anything to do with it. This is all in the dudes if you're Jewish, guys. So convert to Judaism, ladies. You don't have to do any work, you know, of the wedding. That's not how it is now, all right? So he's making all the preparations at home. He's building a, a, a little sanctuary for him and his bride. Uh, a, a canopy uh, uh, for that week of the festivities, so the week of the marriage. He's building a new home. She's preparing herself. She's wearing a veil. She's staying covered uh, and uh, keeping consecrated. And so she doesn't know when he's coming. But what she had to do when she knew the hour was getting close, so it's about 12 months. He said it'd be about now, okay? Uh, his son coming is going to be surprised. So I got to have all my bags packed and ready. Come on now. I got to have all my bags packed and ready. Her bridesmaids had to keep lamps of oil full. And she would have her wedding dress ready to go. And she actually had to have bathed, taken a baptism uh, to pu ritually purify herself and be ready. And she would have that makeup on all the time. She'd have her hair done all the time because she knew young boys often like to steal away, catch up, sneak out at night and go steal her away in the midnight hours. Come on. This is scripture. Over and over again, right? Okay, and so this is how it goes. As time approaches, she'd be getting near and more anticipated. She'd be probably wearing that wedding dress in her spare time, maybe. I don't know, you know. Um, but our covenant with Christ is the same way. It's a binding contract. 
but it's not completed until he comes and gets us. We are sanctified, set apart. He gives us peace in the Holy Spirit. We are washed clean through the Holy Spirit. We are baptized in water. And we are waiting on Jesus Christ because He's going to prepare a place, He said in John 14. And we are to be the spotless bride, ready with our lamps full, expecting His soon coming return near the midnight hour. That is, that is Scripture. He, he wrote all this. Isn't that cool? I mean, he, he wrote it that way. He defined it. He came to this earth and said the right things at the right times. He did the right things at the right times to make a beautiful mosaic picture for you and I. Now, this is awesome. Let's get even better. The procession, number three. Special guests got invited to the wedding in advance, okay? These are the witnesses, the ten virgins I talked about this morning. Uh, and they would be expected to wait for the final announcement of the exact day and time. Only the Father knew the day and time. Hmm. Wow. Look at this. And so when he thought his son was ready, he told, uh, if the groom was asked, hey, when, did you, when are you going to get married to this girl? You've been waiting for a long time. You can get your house done and your, your marriage uh, sanctuary done. Uh, he says, you know, it's not really my idea. It's not for me to know. Maybe ask my father. Only my father knows. Okay? Again. So at an unknown hour of a pers- uh, certain day, the groom says, father says, go, go marry her. Go get your bride. Son goes out. Someone shouts behind the bridegroom. He, they say, the bridegroom's coming. He's coming, and they're shouting in the streets. And they blow a shofar. Why? They let the bride know across town he's coming. And he's coming fast because he's ready to get married. It's been a long time. He's a young guy after all. So he, he's bolting down to his bride. It's the middle of the night, and he waits for her to get ready. That's where we talk of this morning. She's got to get her bags. She's supposed to a good bride, ladies, a good lady, a good woman is going to be ready to go when her husband says, let's do it. Let's go. Right. That's just this. I'm not preaching on anything like that. But anyhow, when he's ready to go, the quicker they're ready to go, they can get married. But she's you know, she's going to get her dress on. She's and he's going to stand at the door knocking. Waiting for her to answer the door. Now, is this just not awesome? Those of you who know scripture, there's so much in here. And so she comes to the door, her bridegrooms have their lamps lit, they're ready to go, just like this morning, and they follow them to the procession. And they go, the wedding party is accompanied by music and dancing, and the dark roadways are lit with the oil lamps held by those invited guests. You and I, we are always to be ready, because we do not know the day or the hour when the trumpet sounds. Jesus is knocking on our hearts saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. You should have had your bags packed. You know, I'm ready, let's do this. And so that's where we are. The shofar sounds. We, he will be there in an instant. Uh, there's no time to get it all together. We, he's, he said, you had a year. I've given you time to get this together. Church, God has given us thousands of years to save this world. He's given us thousands of years to get our hearts ready. And when he comes, he ain't going to wait around much longer. When that trumpet sounds, he's going to be ready. And so then there's the marriage supper. A couple goes, they go into their father, his father's house. He takes his bride to his father's house. They go into uh, the, the marriage room uh, under the canopy where he has made uh, this home. And there at the marriage supper, uh, they, there's blessings and festivities. He gives her this last cup of wine, excuse me, completing their engagement. The cup, remember Jesus says, I will take this cup. I will not take it of again until I receive it in my father's house. Meaning, the marriage isn't complete until he takes the last cup. For 
the groom, they took one cup at the engagement. They'll take the final cup that will say, this is finished. We're together forever now. Uh, and they'll, and she'll, they'll drink that together. And, the, and she would go, they would go um, into the wedding chamber that she built, okay? And they would consummate the wedding and they would be there for seven days. Okay, this is important. Listen for this. They'd be there for seven days. And at the end of seven days, they would come out and they would have a big marriage supper, a wedding feast with all kinds of, not just the invited guests that walked with them, all kinds of guests would come, okay? It'd be this huge party, but the door would be shut during those seven days by an attendant and the uninvited would be locked out. Her veil uh, in the marriage, uh, in the wedding chamber, the veil would be taken off, placed on the groom's shoulder symbolically, and a declaration would be made, prophecy, uh, that the government shall be upon his shoulder, the authority shall be upon his shoulder for this wedding. Now, come on, think this is awesome. Uh, the night of the wedding, and so like I said, they would be reign there for seven days. And this is all from Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and be glad. Give glory to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And that's prophecy. Now think about all of this. Think about all this in light of the end times. Does what view of the rapture does that marriage supper, that 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 coming and snatching away, fit best with? Because it says that he uh, comes and he snatches her away without warning. She, he gave her a season, a time, right? But on the exact day, we don't know. He's ready to snatch us away at the sound of a trumpet, a shofar, and that we will, the, they would be together in holy sanctuary for a period of seven days. Now, those of us who see the symbolism in the Great Tribulation see that during the Great Tribulation, it's perhaps a seven years or a seven times, times of seven, there will be a tribulation. Pre-trib tells us that during the Great Tribulation of seven years or seven ages or seven whatever amount of time you want to have, that there will, the church will have ascended and that during that time we will be with the Lord in sanctuary. And so that to me shows that God has really not destined his bride to be on this earth during the worst of it. That he's going to rapture her out. We're going to be in sanctuary with him for that time. And then at the end of the seven years or the end of the seven times, then there is the marriage supper of the Lamb uh, with him. And that is the great celebration where both Jews and Christians, those who have gone through the tribulation and perhaps not taken the mark of the beast and they have been killed, they will all be killed. There will be no second rapture. Every person who does not make the rapture, who wants to follow Christ, will die. Uh, and if you can't make it now, Lord, help you to make it then. Because we'll be gone. It'll all be you. And, and so, Lord, the chances, let's just say this, the chances of you making it will be so very slim. Best chance, make the rapture. How about that? Okay? You got a free ticket. Just take it, right? But look at this. The marriage supper. It's found before the second coming in Revelation. And I believe this is the best way we should think about uh, looking to the Lord. We have a hope, a blessed hope, and we have a great response. And our response, and I looked on there and all the verses you should, I think you should look at our response. What is our response to this teaching and, and to this, this thing? Man, I really think, go look over this again. Look over this, this Jewish wedding. And do we have, I guess I want to close with this. Do you and I have such a loving relationship with God that we would be in anticipation. It's Valentine's Day, y'all. Uh, those of you who have significant others, or you've got grandchildren or, or a close family that you love so very much, 
Do you long to see them when you haven't seen them in a while? Right. And how much more does God long to see us? This morning, I'll be honest, on my way here, I was listening to that song, Midnight Cry. I just began to weep. And it wasn't me weeping. That doesn't happen very often where the Holy Spirit just comes over me and just begins to weep because there is something in there I believe God wanted to talk to us this morning and this evening about, and that is that God is longing for you. God longs for you. And how do we long for Him? That there is going to be a day where God is so... Can you imagine those of you who have been married before or you remember what it was like when you were young, you just couldn't help but wanting to be with that person. I remember talking to my wife, you know, via, we didn't have texting back then. We had like instant messaging, you know, just all hours of the night, you know, we're not supposed to be up, but we're talking, you know, just uh, teenager goo 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 stuff, you know, what it's like when you have those little romantic days, you know, 16, okay? But it's like, Jesus, just think about God and not get weird about it, but just that God longs to be with his bride, the church. He's in anticipation. He's weeping over her. He's, he's saying, God, Dad, can I go? Can I go get him? I'm ready. Dad, he's just like, just a little bit longer, son, just a little bit longer. They're not ready yet. She's not ready yet. You're, we got to get everything ordered. You know, there's some more still coming in. I'm, I'm wishing that, that everything would get packed and everything would be ready to go. And so we are supposed to watch and pray, be on guard, dressed in readiness, Luke says. Our prayer should be, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, uh, like in the revelation, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Are we, are we a people who just longs to be with God? like he longs to be with us. And the final one was work and obey. Hebrews, I'll close with this. Hebrews ten thirty six says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For in yet a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. He's coming. He's coming. And uh, let's be a people, man, who just love him to death. Literally. Man, just love him that we just so excited for what he's got. And, and if that doesn't excite you how much he's ordered and orchestrated this whole thing for you to paint you this beautiful picture, tell you, you know what that, that whole Jewish marriage thing, you know what that is to tell you? That's to tell you how much he loves you, how much he's thought about you from the beginning of time to order out this massively beautiful story that for eons and eons and millennia and millennia, we will be singing about how much God loved us. Do you remember back... 30,000 eons ago, Miss Georgia, when God did all that awesome stuff for us. I mean, you know, just think about it. They will be singing about what He has done for us for ages to come. That's how much God loves you. That's just unbelievable how much He loves you. And so may we just, and what we can, reciprocate that love. Amen? Can you stand with me tonight? So happy Valentine's to Jesus. Amen? Amen.